Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am your host, Dave Roberts. And today I have as my guest a local artist, Kayla J. Spivey. Kayla J. Spivey, an emerging artist hailing from Utica, New York, delves into the captivating realm of ceramic arts, intertwining her creative pursuits with her educational background. Holding an MS in pharmacology and toxicology from Michigan State University, she brings a unique perspective to her artistic endeavors. Alongside her artistic pursuits, Kayla is a scientific writer for Thermo Fisher Scientific. Her diverse skill set seemingly bridges the worlds of scientific communication and artistic creation. From her initial introduction to wheel throwing at Four Elements Studio in 2019, Kayla's artistic journey has been marked by a relentless dedication to creative expression. She further honed her skills through community education ceramics classes at Munson, previously known as Munson Williams Proctor Arts Institute in Utica, New York, nurturing her craft with fervor and precision. Kayla has also participated as an artist in residence at Four Elements Studio from 2021 to 2022, a transformative period that nurtured her growth and creative voice. She has served as the studio pottery manager at the Kirkland Arts Center throughout 2023, helping to foster a vibrant artistic community and inspire fellow artists to push boundaries and cultivate their own unique creative voices. Kayla's artistry emanates from a harmonious convergence of methodical proficiency, emotional depth, and an unwavering dedication to her craft. She invites viewers on a transformative journey through the myriad of human emotions, to evoke a profound connection with each individual piece. Kayla, welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am very happy and excited to have you as a guest today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I was introduced to Kayla through a mutual colleague and friend at Utica University who is also a local collage artist, and he suggested I check out uh, Kayla's exhibit, From the Ashes. And when I did, it just blew me away. And I said, I have to get in touch with Kayla, find out more about her work. Two lunches later, we're at this point. So here we are are, doing a podcast. So Kayla, I'm going to start out. I have a series of questions and obviously this will turn into a conversation. Our podcast usually will go wherever they're supposed to go. But to start, if you would. Please share with our listeners the events or events that have shaped your life path and have gotten you to the current moment. Yeah, so in a general perspective, I would say my entire upbringing, as far as events, there were quite a few um, along the road that kind of shaped um, who I've become and where I've gone with my life. So certainly... um, 
growing up in a tumultuous household um, as a child was very impactful. And then I would say event-wise, the most pivotal loss I've experienced was um, losing my mother. It was about three weeks after my sixth birthday, um, right between my birthday and Christmas. So I lost my mother to liver cancer. Um, So she was 38 years old and that's something that as a kid, especially being newly six, you don't really, you understand to a degree, but there's also some, some things that kind of just development wise, you don't really grasp until you kind of just learn that a loss is a key component, um, kind of, of, of existence was how it progressed for me. I would say definitely the combination of losing my mother and then just having a really difficult upbringing with my father um, in the household was the culmination of those kind of have shaped who I'd become emotionally. Um, definitely the the path as far as tenacity for trying to just build myself a better life. And yeah, there's a lot of nuances involved in all of those things. Yeah, one of the things is when you experience of death at age six, the meaning of death tends to reinvent, reinvent itself as you go through the developmental stages. The meaning of death and the experience of grief or the behaviors associated with grief are different at, let's say, 10 or 12 years old than they were at six years old. So grief tends to reinvent itself throughout the adolescent life cycle. And I'm a firm believer that grief is a circular process and not a linear process anyways, that we will grieve to a certain extent throughout our lives, but just in later grief, it becomes more manageable and I think more expected that we're going to have those ups and downs. What do you remember about your mom? I know she was six when she passed, when she died. What do you remember? Do you have any recollection of all of times or memories with your mom? Yeah. So I have a few memories and then some of them, and I don't know how common this is, um, but some of my memories, I almost wonder if they're real memories or if it's me looking at photos and then hearing a lot of family stories about her and just kind of piecing things together. So my most visceral memories, um, I have very sensory oriented memories also, which is interesting. I think that's something I've read is common of children who experience trauma. You just develop this like sensory perspective that's very intense. So a lot of my memories are feeling based. So I can feel all of the things um, kind of in the scene of the memory. So one pivotal one was when my mother, um, she was a quilter and a seamstress. So she made me this quilt and built this toddler bed for me. I'm assuming I was maybe four, four or five years old. And I was in my bedroom in the house I grew up in. And um, I turned around her just being with her in the room and feeling, you know, happy and warm and comforted. And she's putting this new beautiful quilt over my bed that she made. And then my father comes home and sensory wise, the whole mood of the room kind of changes. So um, there was an argument and it just kind of transpires from there. But it's interesting to me that the few memories I have of her, when it's just she and I, the feelings are very positive, very, like I said, comforting, soothing, nurturing. And then 
introducing, you know, my father into the frame, this kind of pivotal energetic shift happens. And that shift definitely, um, obviously impacted a lot of my life, especially once she was gone, because that was the overwhelming um, kind of energetic feeling in the home. How specifically did the energy shift when he was around as far as for you, your emotional process, uh, your grief process? Can you, can you touch on that to the extent that you're comfortable discussing it? Yeah, so I would say um, I learned very, very young. And there were, there were nuances of this, you know, before my mother passed. In the memories that I have, like I said, that, that frame shift that feeling shift in the few memories I have of early childhood, it definitely feels like something to me that has always been present. So the knowledge of other people's um, feelings, their presence, knowing kind of how to, to curtail my own, honestly, existence around that for the purposes of safety. So I would say that was the predominating um, kind of framework that I grew up in I just learned somewhat inherently how to just adjust myself to whatever scenario popped up there's a hyper vigilance factor there's a um people pleasing factor there's just so many things that come along with it that are inherently shutting down and inherently making myself smaller to fit in um and I would say that, you know, the thing with grief is you start unpacking stuff and then it's like, for me with, with the grief closet, it's not like I go into the, the closet and I pull out the mom jar and I'm like, I'm going to work on the mom stuff today. It's, it comes with all of these other facets to it, um, surrounding all of the things in my childhood that I kind of had to grieve. As far as not being able to have a normal existence, not being able to understand on a physical, emotional, physiological level what safety is. Um, so grief got very messy. And I honestly, I don't think I started addressing it until my, until I turned like 30. So I just learned and I think I carried forward that the biggest focus, and it's a survivalist instinct, was getting out and making a life and doing something better and making sure that the framework I had for my future was completely different than the framework I grew up with as my past experiences. Um, so there were control elements, there were ambition elements, there were all of these things that kind of just became the major focus and honestly prevented me from grieving because there's also a caveat of when those experiences, these negative experiences are so impactful, but they're your baseline. How do you know that that's not normal uh -huh. until you meet people and you have conversations and you get more exposure and you realize like, oh, it's not normal for family dynamics to behave under this framework it's not normal for people to have to you know make themselves smaller for the purposes of safety that's not everyone else's baseline i just was raised in this very unique experience that's given me a different perspective of life and i also think 
in terms of, as you mentioned, with having to make yourself small, suppress your feelings, just survive a very chaotic environment. Um, once you're away from that environment, it's like a tsunami of emotions that just come out and it's like, what do I deal? How do I deal with this? And oh, absolutely. And what is my outlet for dealing with that? Um, so let's, let's fast forward to age 30. Did you begin your um, process of dealing with your mom's grief at age 30 through your art, or was there something else prior to that to, to uh, deal with the grief of your mom's death? Yeah, so it was definitely a culmination of circumstances. I kind of honestly feel like it was, it was very unique timing, and it was the universe's way of just after repeatedly kind of giving me signs that the lifestyle I was living was not sustainable. Mm -hmm. It was a way of really kind of putting a hard stop to the way I was living for multiple reasons. So in the fall of 2019, when I was taking that first wheel throwing class at Four Elements, um, I was just looking for something to kind of put my energy into hobby-wise. I was also blatantly avoiding writing my master's thesis because that was my last semester and I didn't want to write it. And it was very involved and very intense. And um, it was actually ironically, but not ironically, um, based on a specific um, protein biomarker for liver cancer. So I would say my artistic endeavors, but also my professional endeavors have been focused on a certain capacity of understanding cancer progression, of understanding the physical body. And then with artwork, that kind of immediately led me to unpacking and understanding the emotional component that I had been avoiding. So in taking that class, it was something with the, the tactile sensation of working with clay that immediately clicked for me. And there was just this really strong point of connectivity. But then in the background of that, finishing a master's, and that was at the tail end of a decade of working full-time and going to school full-time. Um, I didn't have the privilege of not doing that. So it was just kind of my existence, my experience, but, you know, doing it for a decade, it becomes pretty exhausting. So burnout was a factor. Um, around that same time, I was ending uh, marriage. So I was ending a 12-year relationship with somebody who I had met when I was 18 and someone who, you know, was the first person who was kind of nice to me in the romantic realm. And there was just a lot to unpack with all of that. Um, so I had gotten my first apartment completely on my own as an adult. I had moved out, had started, you know, making a life for myself. And then also in January of 2020, my father passed away. And we were somewhat estranged at the time. Um, we had been reconnected over the previous years. He just happened to be back in New York and it was... Um, a pretty complex, very, very difficult situation that kind of brought everything from my past up to the forefront. So all of these things in culmination, I I honestly had a little bit of a breakdown. So I don't know if you would call it mental, emotional. It was kind of a completely cohesive, just stopping point of you need to take a pause, you need to address 
what you haven't been addressing. Um, and then COVID happened. So it was just this perfect storm of like a series of four months of all of this avoidance coming to a head and then sitting there and facing it and having this new outlet to put myself fully into that was also the nice thing about visual arts is it's it can be a part of you it can be a reflection of you but it's also separate from you so that separation was pivotal in me being able to actually address what I needed to address yeah it's almost like you it's like I hear you saying that you had to 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 be immersed in it yet detached from it to fully experience the impact of it Absolutely. Um, especially at that point, it was just, like you said, it's a tsunami of emotions. And then when you introduce, I'm a third believer in, and I've done the research, um, unhealed trauma, unprocessed trauma, 1000% results in mental illness, mm-hmm. physical disorders. The data's there. It's all very concrete, um, it's now we're starting to talk about it more in the mainstream, which is wonderful because hopefully people will take that and find help as they need it. But I was also dealing with, you know, unpacking the fact that I had undiagnosed PTSD that I had had for 20 years. Um, so learning that, it's like, how do you deal with that? Because then there's this whole physical response that I had no control over, that I had, in looking back and learning, you know, oh, we're going to call it PTSD, associated with anxiety, associated with depression, with all of these other things that kind of come along with it. You look Mm -hmm. back over the years and just, I realized how prevalently it had been playing in my life. But, you know, growing up in the 90s and 2000s, nobody talked about this stuff. Nobody talked about anxiety. Nobody talked about what a panic attack looked like. Nobody talked about how debilitating the reality of that can be when you're carrying things that are so heavy and there's so many of them. It seems like, you know, a path forward is almost nearly impossible. Yeah, and you're right. Back in the 1990s and 2000s, uh, the discussion about PTSD, anxiety, has didn't evolve to the extent it's evolved. Now, you can go on the internet, just find anything you want to find on PTSD, symptoms of PTSD, how to deal with it, treatment centers to deal with it. Uh, but back then, that wasn't a, that wasn't part of the, the discussion. Um, it was, you know, beginning to evolve, but it wasn't something that was a consistent part of our our culture, our, 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 um, our, our discussions, or was in the consciousness of society. We just didn't talk about it that much. But, you know, when you mentioned, you said you thought you had a breakdown. I was looking at the fact that in four months you had some very significant transitions in your life that just culminated. And to me, being if that were me, I would have felt very overwhelmed and just like, what, where do I go from here now? What do I do with this? Yeah, that was definitely the overwhelming feeling. <laughs> yeah, I always, what do I, yeah, what do I do with this? How do I do this? Um, yeah. Where do I go from here? Was it around the time of 2020, and I wanted to get to what I think is your most fabulous creation. I know there's been plenty of them, but in the context of our discussion with your From the Ashes exhibit, can you tell us how that evolved and what the outcome was, the process, and what you learned from 
that piece of creativity? Yeah, so that piece didn't, it formed in my mind in the fall of 2021. So, and I remember the exact day when I had more of a cohesive thought about it. So I had, during my my time working with ceramics, I initially started with wheel throwing because that's kind of where everyone pretty much starts. Um, and I just need a lot of bowls. Everything turned into a bowl. I can't throw a cylinder to save my life, but I started working hand building. So not using a wheel, just using clay in a slab roller. So you flatten clay out into these like pancake thin pieces. You can adjust the thickness depending on what you're making. And I was just completely obsessed with putting texture in it. All I wanted to do was press things into clay and see what it looked like. So that was organic material. So wildflowers and leaves and all sorts of stuff just to make all these beautiful impressions based on nature. But then also I kept gravitating toward using fabric. And then I followed that path for a while, made some sculptural pieces, a lot associated with femininity and imposter syndrome and all of the nuances involved with that. It was very reflective of a lot of things I was going through uh, in my professional career at that time. So it was really good outlet, um, being a woman in STEM. But then I was sitting, it was on my birthday in November in 2021 at Kong in downtown Utica, the best place, uh, in my opinion, in the world. And I was sitting there with my notepad and just trying to get out some ideas and an installation piece came to me. So I kept thinking, you know, of ways to press fabric into clay. How do I do this, but make it big? Because for me, any experiences I've had with seeing art, so being the viewer of art in museums and, you know, galleries, what have you, there's something about scale that has always really intrigued me. And I love the concept of using scale because there's this component of undeniability that comes along with it. So I knew I wanted to make a big piece, but then you think, well, how do I do this? I'm using ceramic. So there's a modularity component, which that's where using individual porcelain tiles came in. So when I started thinking about that, I just kept thinking, you know, fabric, where is this fabric coming from? While doing all of this emotional unpacking in the background. um, And I realized it was so simple. It's not ironic that the women in my family, both my mother and my grandmother, were textile people so they they didn't do it for their main focus um but they both worked you know making clothes like i grew up wearing clothes that my mom and my grandmother made me um they were both quilters they did needlepoint embroidery um my mother was also a photographer and when she got sick she was at the top of her class in a medical university studying to be a cardiac perfusionist so that's also where the science comes in. So, Mm -hmm. so much of my life has been kind of following the path of these very strong, very resilient, um, very bright, warm, beautiful women. And that led me to just kind of formulate the concept of the projects that became from the ashes. And I also 
was very, very fortunate during some of my time. At this point, I was an artist in residence at Four Elements Studio in the Omri Vartan had talked to me about a piece that he did. And it was a commission piece, I believe, for a friend. And someone had passed. And he used their ashes to sculpt tiles as a memorial piece for someone to have in their home to remember their loved ones. And I just, that concept, it came to me. He told me this story kind of at the perfect time. And then this all kind of fused in my mind as the final piece, which was when it opened in the, it was almost a year ago. It was September 6th of 2022. Um, it was a seven foot by seven foot deconstructed quilt made out of 441 individual porcelain tiles that were hand pressed with five different types of fabric um, to create unique patterns. And then they were arranged in a patchwork style quilt and it was mounted to a frame that was mounted to the wall. And there's so many nuances of, you know, method processing that came into that planning you know learning how do you attach this to a wall how do you attach the tiles of the piece there were so many things to learn process wise and it was a very intense it was about a 2000 hour project of just making and learning and figuring out all of the intricate details of how is this piece going to come together in its totality and kind of stand to captivate an audience in a room because it was the only piece in the show. Um, so there were a lot of things that went into that. And yeah, it took about a year. And, um, and that was, that was the piece. That had to be a very intense. Was it a very uh, emotionally cathartic process for you, Kayla? to do that um i will say honestly while i was doing it no it was awful it thankfully the the process component the amount of like physical labor that it took to come up with that piece and then mentally planning for all of the very specific details to pull it off those balanced out the emotional part but the emotional part itself was, it was very intense and very difficult. And I sit here a year later and I'm glad I did the piece. But if I had to go through and repeat the process, I don't know that I would do that. It was just a fully immersive, um, full frontal, no, no filters, no nothing approach to unpacking very old and as I said before, it wasn't just, you know, obviously the piece was about my mother, but the grief, you pull out every bit of grief that's ever been in your life to a certain degree and you just sit with it. And I did that for a full year. So I remember, um, because with working with Ashes, there's there's some realistic components that come along with it that people don't necessarily know about. I didn't know about it until Vartan was, you know, wonderful enough to walk me through the process of how that would would have to work. So with ceramic, 
you know, you fire the ceramic in a kiln, so you can't just take ashes from an urn and just dump them into some porcelain and call it a day. There's a there's a pre-processing that has to happen. So mm-hmm. I had to literally use a sieve and run my mother's ashes through a sieve to get out all of the fragments of bone and anything mm-hmm. else you left over. So I remember doing that. That was in March of 2022. And it was my first batch of official tiles. So I had done a bunch of test tiles to figure out pattern and texture and design and all of that stuff. But these were the real, you know, the official lawn tiles. Um, And after doing that process, I made one batch of tiles. And I, my studio is in my home. It's in my attic. And I was upstairs for about an hour and a half and I made one badge, maybe 13 or 14 tiles. And I put them between two pieces of drywall to, to dry. Um, and I came downstairs and I shut my attic door and I didn't go up there for six weeks. So I didn't trim the tiles. I didn't do any of the detail work that needed to be done. I just, it was such an intense thing. It, push me into a level of introspective depression that I don't know that I've ever felt because I was facing everything all at once. Um, And thankfully I was, you know, working with a therapist every single week on all of this stuff. So I had these support systems in place to make sure I was, I was safe and comfortable being able to even go to these areas of myself that I had never gone to without uh, some type of indirectness, but this was a directness that I have never experienced before. Thank you for 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 talking in depth about your process from with from the ashes. But one of the things that your story brings out is the fact that grief isn't only about the loss; it's about those other losses that were associated with it. It sounds like when you you immersed yourself in this project. It was almost like doing a life review of things that had previously remained suppressed. And you, you basically looked at everything that was associated with the relationship you had with your mother, you know, with your father at home, with your family. It seemed like it was just a total, total uh, process of looking at just everything. Yeah, it definitely was. And it, at some point in it, I realized, um, because I always play music when I'm in the studio working, but at some point the music shifted and anything with vocals seemed too much. And all of a sudden, and I hadn't listened to it for years, but all of a sudden I kept gravitating toward jazz. And specifically, I was listening to a lot of John Coltrane. Mm -hmm. And then even tracing that back. So my father, Frizz, awful as he was as a person there are some things that um i inherited from him that i love so he always had this really intense experience when listening to music um so i grew up in the household and there was always jazz playing in the background or bluegrass he was from the south so like a lot of southern bluegrass and southern gospel music classical music so most predominantly instrumental um 
But all of a sudden, midway through this process, when I'm working in the studio, I just found myself when I was in the studio, the only music I could listen to that would kind of let me get in the zone and just process was jazz. And I have a feeling it was because of just as we've been describing the grief process as being multifaceted and hitting on multiple points, I think I was healing without even knowing certain points of my recognition of him as a person, honestly, as a human person, because that getting to that level has been a substantial accomplishment given the upbringing he provided. Um, so I've, I've kind of now since then making that, that, connection in the forefront that understanding jazz is just a place where i can connect with the reality of him and he's since obviously passed um and that wound is not healed i think that might take a lifetime to heal but it's ironically in healing grief associated with my mother it's healed so many other parts that you couldn't i couldn't have really planned for it's just the way it unfolded. Well, and I think once we make a determination to embrace different perspectives or work through our grief using a variety of different um, perspectives that we can use to expand our belief system, it opens it opens us up to so much more. I know for me, when my after my daughter transitioned and uh, doing a lot of intense um, spiritual work with the help of specifically one individual. Uh, Patty Farino, who I think I've mentioned to you before, um, it, it allowed me to promote healing and closure and peace in other areas of my life, particularly with ancestral healing as it related to decisions that both my father and mother made. And one of the inherent beauties of, of working through grief is that it has some other collateral like, rewards. I mean, our lives are never the same, but yet, you know, we become transformed in the process you know, we've just become more aware of things we might not normally have become aware of because we had to do the work to get to, to uh, re-engage in a world that was now different. Yeah, absolutely. Did From the Ashes, one of the things that I, correct me if I'm wrong, but reading this in your artist statement on your website, I think you indicated that it helped you create a continued bond with your mother and in the process, transform the relationship with her. Am, am I correct in assuming that? Yeah. So I would say, as with everything, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think unknowingly to a certain degree in a lot of the areas of my life, and I, I mentioned this earlier with the professional focus on going into the sciences, which that was her professional focus. Um, she was in the cardiac perfusion program when she got sick and she was the top of her class. So she was, you know, super smart, super creative, all of these things. I think to a certain degree, I lived a certain part of my life, almost living the life that she wasn't able to. And this is a very complex thing for me that I definitely don't have fully figured out yet because, you know, I think a lot of kids are similar to their parents in some regards. And there's that point of connectivity, especially when they have things that they do have a commonality on and the bonding that comes from that. But what does that mean when your parent has been gone 
for most of your whole life. Um, so I think I followed a certain path because of who she was and because of how she existed being a multifaceted person. I think it gave me a blueprint and I think this process allowed me to break out of that shadow to a certain degree and recognize I think I am in all of the things I've heard about her, um, from friends, family members, whoever, um, I was lucky enough to kind of be the, I don't know, I, people just along the way, I think because they knew of the circumstances and they knew of the situation, they just bestowed upon me all of these beautiful stories of her, um, but I think I kind of broke away from that shadow to a certain degree and now from a distance can recognize we have similarities, but we have significant differences. So talking about the the art project itself, the installation piece, the patterning was a mem memory of her, the patterning of the quilt. It was this classic traditional patchwork style that was very... Um, prominent in a lot of the quilts that she made but the color scheme was like bold bright funky mm -hmm, mm -hmm. colors and that's all so it's almost this blending of figuring out how do i carry somebody with me and not feel like i'm carrying the weight of living a life that they weren't able to have it's finding balance in how do I recognize and reflect on the fact that this incredible person existed and gave me a lot of hope when there wasn't a lot of hope and gave me, you know, this blueprint to follow, uh, to kind of figure out how to navigate these really complex challenges when they had already been dead. So like she wasn't there for so much of my life, but she was there. Um, so it's just a way of moving forward with, with connection in a way that isn't tangible and that is evolving and that allows for two people to exist, but still be reflective and respectful of one another, I guess. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Cause to me, what you're talking about is a process of integration of grief. You're. You, you're taking the best parts of who your mom is and integrating with the best parts of you. you. There's similarities, but there's differences. It's like, you know, with the, my daughter, Janine, I've done the same thing. I've taken the best parts of her and integrated them into the best parts of me. For me, that's how I was able to transform the relationship with her and move forward in my grief and re-engage in, in, in a purposeful life. And it sounds like the process is very similar, maybe using different parts, using a different medium of expression, but there's definitely, I, I can see some similarities in the process of integration. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, to wrap up or just getting close to wrapping up, one other question I have, what other forms of, of creativity besides art? I know you mentioned music that could be used to work through grief or other life transitions. For those individuals who are listening or are not artists, and me, I couldn't, I honestly, I couldn't draw a stick figure without some type of, some type of instruction. What are some other forms of creativity besides art that could help individuals work through grief or other life transitions? Yeah. So I am a 
believer that creativity can apply to anything and everything. And I think, I honestly think I have survived and been okay because I'm somewhat the living embodiment of that statement. So I find connection with my mom through cooking, through nature walks, through, there's just so many things. It's like any, anything in your life where you find a moment where you can have reflection and connection um, can be a way to process grief. I think art, and of course there's the argument of good art versus bad art. I don't think that's relevant because all art is subjective, but Mm -hmm. it could be it could really be anything. It could take any any form that anyone has accessible to them at that time. Um, because I think creativity lives in in every aspect of our lives. I think we just kind of choose whether or not to adopt that broad spectrum framework. Okay. Um, any other takeaways or teachings from your personal experience that can help our listeners effectively address life challenges? Anything else you want to add to that? I would say the biggest one is learning how to pivot. So I think there's a resiliency that comes from uh, growing up in difficult circumstances. And the one that keeps popping into my mind is just learning how to pivot. Uh That and learning how to never stop dreaming, but also allowing yourself to grieve the dreams that don't work out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really profound because it's, you know, we we, it's like we also need to acknowledge the yin and the yang of our experience and we have to to make room for all of it. Um, Yeah, because in in its own way, any type of emotional expression, whether it's considered to be happiness or not related to happiness, bears, bears rich teaching and in some ways has its own intrinsic set, sense of beauty, although it might be difficult to see at the time. And, you know, some, sometimes at the passage of time, we can see where even those the bad moments had as much to teach us as the good moments in our lives. Right. Exactly. Okay. Lastly, how can our listeners contact you, purchase your artwork, artwork, find out about any upcoming events that you may have? Um, What's the best way to get in touch with you, Kayla? So I would say the best way is through Instagram. I'm at Kayla J. Spivey or my website, Kayla J. Spivey, fineart.com. I'm not a Facebook person, so you can contact me there and I will never answer you. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I'm not doing a ton of events coming up. It's an ebb and flow with, with the realities of normal life. Um, Uh I, I do take commissions. So if anyone's interested in, you know, fabric prints, functional wear, that seems to be my, my main focus right now. Um, so you can find that on my website. And I, I have seen samples of your art on your website, and uh, the pictures don't do it justice. But I mean, you do some beautiful, very impactful work, and I think any of our listeners should check your studio out and check your your offerings out and uh, make a purchase. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. And with that, Kayla, thank you so much for uh, spending some time out of your day to spend with me and our listeners and. I look forward to uh, future conversations. 
Yes, same here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And with that, that is another wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace. Thank you for listening to this episode, and please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.